Welcome to the ASHP official podcast, your guide to issues related to medication use, public health, and the profession of pharmacy. Thank you for joining us for this Wellbeing Wednesday podcast. These podcasts are a form where you can listen in as experts share successful strategies on well-being and resiliency in both their personal and professional lives. My name is Anna Legger-Dopp and my colleague, Christina Martin, who is the director of the New Practitioners Forum, will be your host today for the ASHP's Wellbeing Wednesday podcast. Joining us today is Dr. Christine Sinsky, Vice President of Professional Satisfaction at the American Medical Association. She is board certified in internal medicine and is known as one of the nation's leaders in transforming the medical practice to prevent physician burnout. Thank you for joining us today, Chris. Let's get start talking about this topic, making a meaningful organizational commitment to what workforce well-being and resilience. Christina, I'll turn it over to you to provide some introductory comments as to how we were first introduced to Chris with the AMA. Excellent. Yeah, really excited for this conversation here today. So just really briefly, uh, for some of maybe our newer listeners to the podcast, it's been about three and a half years since ASHP had the opportunity to become a formal sponsor of the National Academy of Medicine Action Collaborative on Clinician Wellbeing and Resilience. And we're really excited that Uh, So we're recording here in December 2020 when the Action Collaborative formed. Originally, the target finish line was December of 2020, and a lot has happened in four years. And so we are excited that NAM and the leaders of the Action Collaborative have committed to extending this work. And ASHP, we're excited to be a continued part of the journey so a quick recap for our newer listeners, you know, the topic of workforce well-being and resilience has been the forefront for a lot of ASHP's work. And we have some articles in our journal that have dated back to the 1980s. But really, the laser focus has been in recent years, as has some of our colleagues with their uh, professional work. And we'll hear a little bit more from Chris on you know, how she personally became invested in the topic and then some of the work that her organization has done to to be a leader in this space. I would encourage our listeners, there's a number of resources that we have for you, for you as individuals, for you as leaders, for your teams. 2020, I said we're recording in December, very challenging year on many fronts. And so while this topic looks and feels different than when we started this journey back in 2017. Those resources may still be relevant, but we have also pivoted and there are specific resources related to current events that, again, you as an individual, you as a leader, you as your team may benefit from. And and we'll link to those in the show notes. I think some of the other highlights to orient our listeners to the topic. Um, you know, ASHP, we held an interdisciplinary collaborative about a year ago, um, and we have some conversations from that that we've learned from. And again, in this recent year, have pivoted. And so there's a series of educational activities. If you're looking to familiarize yourself on the topic, garner some strategies to employ in your personal or professional settings. And we hope that the conversation here today will also be one of those tools or some tips to take away and to fold into your resiliency package. 
And before we welcome Chris to the conversation, we're really excited. We are continuing our interdisciplinary work and we have a certificate program launching in the spring of 2021. And so we encourage you as listeners and your teams to check that out as you continue your work in this space. So we met Chris back in, I don't know if it was 2017 or shortly thereafter, when we joined the Action Collaborative and the working groups and back when we met in person and shook hands and hugged. And I don't know, Anna, um, maybe, you know, as you could introduce us here to Chris and the work that you have co-authored with her on some papers and perhaps can provide that personal introduction for our listeners. Right. As, as you were reflecting on our path over the last few years, it, it has been in parallel. We've been trying to contribute and keep pace with our exceptional colleagues with the NAM Action Collaborative while trying to advance resources for our members. And um, as I was reflecting on this podcast and the opportunity to connect with Chris today, I thought back to early 2018 when Dr. Zhao and Dr. Kirch and Dr. Naska first published a paper in the New England Journal of Medicine talking about to care as human and the call to action for addressing clinician burnout. And I thought about this quote that sticks out so much, uh, I think, for our discussion today, that through collective action and targeted investment, we can not only reduce burnout and promote well-being, but also help clinicians carry out the sacred mission that drew them to the healing professions providing the best care for patients. And it really is that collective action and targeted investment that we've benefited from for the last three years, especially in collaboration to you, Chris, and with the AMA. We have, um, we have benefited from the collaborative spirit that has informed our work and helped us to help our members and the pharmacy profession. And one of my earliest memories to you, Chris, was during one of the networking breaks. Um, again, like Christina said, when we've got to talk within six feet of one another. And we both realized that we were, after that meeting, we were both heading to Door County, Wisconsin to complete uh, race events for the weekend. I was doing a sprint triathlon, but you were doing the much longer half Ironman uh, uh, over the weekend. And that's been a nice uh, connection point to you, in addition to learning from you um, during the Action Collaborative. I clearly remember that conversation that we had. It led me to quickly uh, get out of town to avoid bad weather. And you ended up having more of your Ironman, if you will, in just getting to the race venue. And so I've always admired your tenacity in actually making it there. Well, thank you. I, to me, that's one of my favorite memories from that, from that initial meeting, because we, we did carry forward the resiliency that we had learned from the, from the in-person meeting. Well, to kick off the conversation, so Chris, by background, you are an internal medicine physician, uh, and maybe to continue introducing yourself to our listeners, would you be willing to share with us some events that led you to make this commitment to addressing physician healthcare worker burnout? Christina, I'm really happy to. My own journey into well-being began in 1987 when I first started practice, my first practice and only practice outside of residency was in Dubuque, Iowa. I uh, had two young children. My husband is also an internist. So developing practice efficiency was very important to each of us. And over time, we increased that. But I would date my journey into well-being, really being in the 90s. I was about seven years into my career. 
And it was late in the afternoon and I was looking out onto the Mississippi River from my office and I was facing a stack of charts to dictate before I could go home to the kids. And I realized that if I was going to stay in medicine, I had to do things differently, that the way things were going wasn't the right way. I felt like I had been, was becoming a guideline following automaton and a documentation drone. And it just didn't seem like the mission that I'd signed up for. So I spent a fair amount of time thinking about what is it that I want out of my work and what do I think our patients want? And those two things lined up pretty closely. They didn't line up as closely with how I was spending my day. And so gradually, we re-engineered our practice around teamwork, empowered teamwork, upskilling the team, and eliminating wasteful work, eliminating things that didn't need to be done, getting rid of unnecessary steps, because every minute saved actually was a minute that we could attend either more completely to the patient or attend to the processes themselves or be home with our family. So this eventually led me to traveling the country, speaking about working smarter, not harder. And in doing that, I became acutely aware of how dispirited and at times really despondent many of my colleagues were. The dinner before the grand rounds, for example, was a time when people really opened their hearts. And it was hard to, I always came home and said to my husband, I'm mainlining all the angst that our colleagues are experiencing. Because I think we recognize that we were spending our days doing the wrong work for our patients. And so that really triggered this journey toward finding meaning in work, finding joy, purpose, and meaning in what we do, and finding our mission. And by that, finding well-being. Thank you for those comments. And certainly, for there are experiences that are unique to physicians. There's a lot that we've heard from our members similar themes of distractions from that joy in work. So thank you for sharing your story and then summarizing how you stepped into it in a more formal way. And over the the last few years where we've been um, engaged with the NAM Action Collaborative, and there's been this targeted investment to increase awareness, identify risk factors, and advance research solutions for burnout in healthcare. As you reflect on what you've seen as a physician in your career, what would you say are the biggest wins so far? Sure. I think one of the biggest wins is that we are actually addressing the problem, that we realize that this is an issue. It's not a fringe issue. It's a central issue for us. And by us, I mean for all health professionals, because I absolutely agree. The experience of pharmacists have so many parallels to the experiences of physicians, I think we each want time for that deep work where we can really attend to safely doing our work. One of the wins I believe is that we now widely recognize that health professional burnout is a systems problem, not an individual problem. For years, I've been just pulling out of the air. My observation is that 80% of burnout is related to the external environment and only about 20% is related to individual factors. And I think that that actually holds up. And the recent National Academy of Medicine consensus study reinforced that concept 
even in its title, Taking Action Against Clinician Burnout, a Systems Approach to Professional Well-Being. So we're not starting by saying to pharmacists or physicians, go take yoga, be sure you exercise. As important as those things can be, we're saying to system leaders, we need to address the external environment in which our people work. We've heard from our members, and that point exactly, Chris, where you say about 80% of these uh, challenges are in the environment, and maybe 20% are the individual engaging or responding to the environment or unique challenges that they that we carry with us. That has almost been cathartic for our members, sort of this like they were holding onto it for so long. And then someone said, it's not you, it's the dysfunctional environment that you're practicing in. And it was sort of like this sigh of relief because I think for so long, uh, pharmacists, like many physicians and nurses and other healthcare workers are, we jokingly say type A, but um, because of our, the demands for medication safety and patient safety efforts, there was this feeling of, well, what's wrong with me if I am not thriving in my workplace I have invested this time training and giving back. There must be something wrong with me. And so the acknowledgement of the dysfunctional system, and you you highlighted the recent consensus report, has almost been like a relief, not solving the problem, but uh, I think, and then an acknowledgement, okay, this, this is a central issue and the collective action that we can collaborate on to advance forward. I'd like to just respond a little bit more to that because early in this journey, I recognized that some people were really offended by the term burnout. And then when I started to listen more closely, what I learned was when some people hear the term burnout, they hear self-blame, right? They hear that the locus of responsibility is on the individual rather than seeing it as a manifestation of a systems problem. And and so I I like the term fix the workplace rather than fix the worker. That um, burnout is, you know, how burnout starts in the system. It manifests in individuals, um, but we really do need to free people from the misguided notion that it's a weakness on an individual's part that is why they're experiencing burnout. It's an occupational syndrome. Very important point to emphasize and, and with some of those recent recent changes. So following up uh, a lot of opportunities and work being done, Chris, what do you feel are some of the biggest gaps that we should be aware of as we continue prioritizing and addressing well-being within our workforce? So I think the biggest opportunity is to make regularly measuring and responding to health professional well-being an industry best practice. And I think that that notion is starting to become normalized, but I think we've got further to go. Um, I think every health system will benefit if part of their data dashboard that their health system leaders and even their boards track is a measure of professional well-being. And that measure could be a measure of burnout or a measure of burnout's opposite, which is thriving or joy in medicine, joy in work. But to have that be an important metric that the leaders track in one health system, actually at least two health systems, the CEO has asked the board 
to hold them accountable for the well-being scores of the workforce. And in one organization, that CEO has in turn asked his executive leadership team to share in responsibility for the well-being scores of the entire workforce. So if you're the compliance officer and you're responsible not just for protecting the organization from an audit failure, but you're responsible also for the well-being scores of the health professionals within the organization, you'll make different decisions. And I think that that's the way we can embed the value of well-being into the organization. So the first gap or opportunity is to regularly measure and respond to burnout. And the second is to establish norms of shared accountability where executive leaders have a portion of their compensation dependent on the well-being scores of the workforce. The, the message that has been consistent with that, Chris, is that it, that it really does start with leadership and leadership cultivating well-being and resilience as a value within their organization, within their department is so critical to advancing efforts to, to mitigate burnout and promote well-being and resilience. And you've just highlighted that really importantly. And I know that, that those, what you just listed will really resonate with the leaders that are listening to this. And so thinking about that, when we do connect with our leaders in pharmacy, and they can be big L leaders or little L leaders, oftentimes from a systems perspective, it's great because people in medicine, they know systems, they know system-based change, but how to apply that to this topic of well-being and resilience oftentimes just don't exactly know where to start. And so um, for our next topic, you have contributed significantly to the body of literature on clinician well-being, clinician well-being and resilience. And most recently, we're the leading author on an NAM perspective paper titled Organizational Evidence-Based and Promising Practices for Improving Clinician Well-Being. And you've been tracking the reach of that paper, and so far it's been quite expensive, extensive, even though it's only been out for a couple of months. Can you speak to that reach and then share some high-level takeaways from the paper? I'm happy to. First, though, I'd like to express my thanks to you, Anna, and our other co-authors for your invaluable contributions to the paper. And it was really a pleasure to work together in, in writing that. And you're absolutely right. It's really been honestly thrilling to see the uptake of the paper. There is a scale of measurement of the paper's impact called Altmetric. And this paper is in the top 5% of all publications that are tracked by Altmetric and has a media attention score that's at the 98th percentile for papers that are of the same age. That is, it hasn't been published that terribly long ago. So I think that speaks to the resonance of the message with the medical community and the need for guidance about, well, what are the best practices, either evidence-based or promising practices that we as leaders can begin to implement to address this systems problem? I'm happy to share a few of the um, key points within, within that article and then to encourage listeners to uh, go to the National Academy of, Web, of Medicine's website and look for this paper on organizational uh, evidence-based and promising practices. And I would summarize the main concept 
is that our focus is on developing resilient organizations. And that's akin to what we were talking about a few moments ago, but our workforce is already highly resilient. We just published a paper uh, showing that physicians have significantly higher levels of resistance than the general population. I would anticipate that would that pharmacists would show the same kind of high level of resilience. As you said, that's kind of what draws us in. So burnout isn't the result of a resiliency deficit among our health professionals. And so we need to create resilient organizations that include structures that protect and support the workforce, that protect and support the people within the walls of that organization. And so in the paper, we talk about some of those structures and some of those activities. And I think that is meant to serve as a bit of a roadmap for leaders who say, okay, you've got my attention, but I'm not really sure what to do. Well, I would suggest taking a look at some of the different domains of activity and then some of the specific activities that this group has put together. One example is show your clear commitment to this. And one way to show a clear commitment is to assign a chief wellness officer who may be sitting at the table along with other executive leaders so that every decision, every major decision of an organization is held up not only to the light of how does it affect the finances, how does it affect the quality and safety, but how does it affect the well-being of our workforce? And I think that's one way to build a resilient organization regular measurement, shared accountability that we've talked about already are are other structural pieces of a resilient organization. And then I'll share with you my favorite. That is getting rid of stupid stuff. It's a wonderful title to an article that Dr. Melinda Ashton wrote and published in the New England Journal a couple of years ago. And then we asked her to help write a steps forward module Uh, with the same title. But the concept is that organizations can find ways to de-implement outdated or non-evidence-based policies to remove some of the sludge that's in the way of so many healthcare professionals' daily work. And so getting rid of stupid stuff is one particular activity that an organization can do to become more resilient. Chris, that resonates so much. And I I remember some of the first times hearing you speak about this. And one of the things that I remember you saying is that we tend to sub-optimize ourselves to some of these policies or to the sludge that you just referred to. And I think during COVID, what what better time to evaluate what what needs to stay and what should go and to be creative about that. Well, and I'll just um, let you know about one other publication that a colleague and friend, Dr. Mark Linzer, who's done a lot of research in burnout as well. And I published in Health Affairs earlier this year, and it's Policy and Practice Reset Post-COVID. And the whole concept is during the crisis of COVID, we've had to make a lot of adjustments in policy. Now, which of those shall we continue and which rightfully should revert back to how they used to be? And what other policies have we not yet changed, but really could consider changing for similar reasons? If we 
didn't have health professional time to waste during COVID, do we really have it to waste post-COVID? Probably not. And so let's take that as a silver lining. Absolutely. In pharmacy, we hear a lot of our leaders talk about the start, stop, continue exercise. And uh, carving out the time to engage in that exercise was the challenge. But I agree, Chris, you know, this year has, it's just, it's been a challenge. Um, And, but what better time to, like, I don't know if we would have had this moment or sort of a pause in one space to say, what do we keep? What are some great policies or changes that have quickly resulted from the challenges we faced? And then what do we amend moving forward? So we will link to the paper that you gave us the highlights from in our show notes. But hopefully while our listeners are there, they'll stumble on some of the other great discussion papers that have come out of the Action Collaborative and from some of your other colleagues as well. They're fairly short reads, um, and many of them provide those checklists or sort of an approach or a framework to consider, especially if you are endeavoring in this area with your team or your organization. So shifting gears just a little bit, the AMA and your team have really been leaders in the space of advancing well-being, and you've done significant work through your website. You mentioned um, in the previous question, steps, modules that have been completed, some publications, programming for your members. Uh, For this next reflection, would you be willing to emphasize a few resources that may be relevant to all healthcare professionals, especially our listeners who may be pharmacists, pharmacy technicians, and and in the clinical learning environments? Uh, Thanks. I'm so happy to, Christina. We have created a set of free online digital toolkits that are available to all, no matter um, what you don't have to be a physician, you don't have to be an AMA member, there's no username or password, they're completely open access. And there are over 60 um, such toolkits now. They are to advance understanding and action around organizational culture and its drivers, as well as practice efficiency. And they're meant to be practical, actionable, one stop resources. If you want to learn about being an embedded pharmacist or embedding a pharmacist within a clinical care team, we have a step-by-step guide for how to do that. Same thing with holding team meetings or a daily huddle or changing the organizational culture by changing some of the leadership approaches. We have step-by-step guides. For many of the modules, there's an accompanying video. We went around the country and we took video of various concepts in action and so have two to three minute videos that serve as an introduction. For some of our more recent modules, we have author interviews. So there's a little brief interview with the author so you can get a highlight of this. And then for each of them, we have case studies. So you can see how did it work in other organizations with embedded pharmacists for example, or with team meetings. I already mentioned that one of my favorite modules is the getting rid of stupid stuff module that again has a step-by-step approach that one organization can follow. And instead of reinventing the wheel, they can learn from others. So we have those sorts of things for the embedded pharmacist module that was written by both a pharmacist, the Associate Dean of Pharmacy Innovations and Partnerships at the University of Michigan and with a physician leader, 
it's a step-by-step how-to uh, to do this. And it includes downloadable tools. For example, in this case, there's a needs assessment worksheet. Uh, there's a sample meet the pharmacist brochure that you might modify uh, and put your own unique local information into it, but use it uh, to help inform the patients about the role of the pharmacist. And you don't need to start from scratch for all of these things. For that particular module, we have five different case studies showing how pharmacists as part of the clinical care team have improved care at several academic medical centers, at a private practice. We even have case studies from a pharmacist being part of the care team at the Bureau of Prisons and at the Indian Health Service. So that's an overview of one set of resources that we have, which is called Steps Forward. And one can access those by going to stepsforward.org. We also have a couple of other things that I would love to share with you. And one is our Joy in Medicine Recognition Program, which we piloted in 2019. And we'll, we put it on hold during COVID, but we will relaunch it in the first quarter of 2021. But much like the National Academy of Medicine paper that Anna and I had the chance to contribute to, this serves as a roadmap for organizations that want to consider how do we create a more resilient organization. And we have criteria in the domains of commitment, assessment, leadership, practice efficiency, teamwork, and support. So that would be one of the other resources that we have. Then we do convening, and we have the American Conference on Physician Health, as well as the International Conference on Physician Health. And although that's traditionally in the language, we have many health professionals who attend and share their research and they share their best practices. There are plenary sessions as well as workshops and poster sessions. So it's really been a great crossroads for people interested in this work to share with others. Thank you for that overview. And you really do have such a wealth of information and it is very generous and it is open access. We often do say in this topic is that local, that burnout is a local problem and it requires local solutions. It's something we hear our colleagues at the Action Collaborative say a lot and and your tools help empower those local steps to be taken. And then you just referenced an, an important feedback is that then we encourage people who have implemented those local solutions then to share back and allow for other people to learn. And um, and so having case studies and roadmaps like that really helps people take those first steps. And then hopefully they will share what they've learned so that we can continue to expand upon this knowledge base. And as we move into our final point of discussion, I think this, this podcast has revealed how much we have learned thanks to our partnership with the National Academy of Medicine Action Collaborative over the last few years, and specifically with our connection to you, Chris, and the AMA. As we close out this episode, what are your reflections from, the, from this journey and any advice that you can share for the pharmacy profession in the area of well-being and resilience? Well, thanks so much, Anna. Again, I think that pharmacists and physicians, we share similar needs and similar goals. One of the things that I have kept as my true north during this work is that we are working to create the help to create the conditions 
where joy, purpose, and meaning in work are possible. And I don't mean that on some fluffy level. I actually mean it in the terms of really deep, meaningful work, knowing that you are doing your very best for patients, knowing that you've got connections with your colleagues, that that the reason you spent time in education and in developing your career was to make a positive difference. So creating the conditions where joy, purpose, and meaning in work are possible has, has been that true north. And then the last piece would be the concept of the quadruple aim, with the concept that the way we'll get to the triple aim of better experience for patients, better health for populations at lower cost, is by considering the fourth aim of health professional well-being. In fact, I think it's the shortcut that the shortcut to getting to the other objectives that we strive for as a local institution or as a large US healthcare system is to really start with that fourth aim and unleash the professionalism that is latent within many of us and waiting to be more fully expressed. And so I'll just end with this restatement of the quadruple aim. Care better than we've ever seen. Health better than we've ever known. Cost we can all afford. Delivered by professionals who find joy in their work as they commit to serve others. And for me, I think we can unify around that vision. That's powerful. And we will definitely help to advance that reframing for the quadruple aim. That's Thank you for sharing that with us. Well, that's all the time that we have for today. Chris, thank you so much for joining us today to discuss this podcast, making a meaningful organizational commitment to workforce well-being and resilience. As we look to 2021, what better time to make a commitment to this important aspect of our, of our healthcare and to embed it, as we've heard, to embed it as a value within our organizations as something to strive for and to commit to. If you haven't had the chance, I encourage you to locate the Wellbeing and You website that, that ASHP hosts to learn more about our partnership with the National Academy of Medicine and other resources to help promote well-being and strategies to manage burnout. And please be sure to join us here each month for more topics on well-being and resilience. And I'd like to thank you, Anna and Christina, for the conversation this afternoon. Truly enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you for listening to ASHP Official, the voice of pharmacists advancing healthcare. Be sure to visit ashp.org forward slash podcast to discover more great episodes, access show notes, and download the episode transcript. If you loved the episode and want to hear more, be sure to subscribe, rate, or leave a review. Join us next time on ASHP Official.